Welcome to Plowing Through Brexit, Farmers Guardian's Brexit podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Farmers Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Abby Kay. Last week, the government published a new agriculture bill, so we really want to talk through its contents. Unfortunately, we've got two very esteemed guests to help us unpick things. First, Julie Robinson, partner at Rythorn Solicitors. Welcome to the podcast, Julie. Thank you, Abby, and thank you for the esteemed. (laughs) (laughs) And we also have the fantastic Stuart Roberts, currently Vice President of the NFU, but he is making a bid for the Deputy Post at the moment, fresh from the campaign trail. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Will, and uh, in the same spirit as Julie, it's great to be described as fantastic, so that gets us (laughs) off to a good start. It was was Abby who wrote the script. (laughs) (laughs) Now that the other candidates are now, aren't we, Will? <laughs> they're, 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 they're all equally fantastic, by the way. <laughs> right, let's kick things off then with an easy question first. What's your favourite part of the bill and why? Julie, we'll come to you first on that. Yeah, so I'm really pleased to see one of the new clauses that's in and it's right in the first section and it says in framing any financial assistance, so those new schemes, um, the Secretary of State must have regard to the need to encourage the production of food by producers. Um, This is really uh, quite a big clause in that it really gives us an explicit premise that there is a need to encourage the production of food in England. And, you know, I can remember back... um, you know, trying to get Secretary of State to um, not only focus on the environment, but actually say they wanted to see, you know, food production increase. And it was, you know, they would say it, but now we've got it in legislation. And that's really important because the Secretary of State has a duty to do it. And if she has a duty and doesn't do it, then it's challengeable. Um, It's challengeable in the courts. So it's not just to throw away you know, clause just to keep the farming lobby happy. Um, obviously, some people may say it doesn't go far enough and that we should have the same duty in trade talks, etc. But as a start, I think it's a very good thing, along with the duty to report to Parliament on food security. OK, and the same question to you, Stuart. Yeah, so look, I'd agree with, uh, with everything that Julie said there. Um, I think it is great to see that sort of front and centre, the importance of food. Uh, but to avoid repetition, um, a couple of other areas I think uh, that it's good to see. Um, I think the tenancy reform stuff, I think that is great. I think it's really important that uh, whatever we have going forward, whether it comes through the agriculture bill or through the environment bill, uh, that farmers, uh, yeah, whether they be owner occupiers or tenants uh, or, or joint ventures or anything else, are able to access those schemes. So I think I, I was very pleased to see that. Um, And I was particularly pleased uh, to see that we'd retained uh, all of those powers around supply chain relationships, transparency, uh, etc. So over and above everything, clearly the importance of food, and it's great to see that. Uh, But the other two highlights for me would be the new tenancy reform stuff in there. Uh, That's really important. Uh, And retaining uh, that extremely important supply chain uh, powers that they had in their uh, in the previous version. Mm. So it seems like there's a bit of a consensus now on uh, the fact that the bill's been improved since last time. Um, but now we've got the good stuff out of the way. 
Um, what would you do to improve the bill if you could? Um, I do want to say something other than legally protecting domestic standards because I think there's it, it's pretty well, um, well there's a pretty wide consensus that that should be done. So, uh, Julie, again, we'll come to you first. Yeah. So for me, and and really, this is really very frustrating, and it's about the language that's being used. So the whole of um, all of the new schemes are built around the concept of giving financial assistance. Usually, when the Treasury gives financial financial assistance, it's talking about subsidy support. Um, I was looking forward to seeing farmers being paid to deliver services and goods that society needs. And in fact, back in you know the original policy statement from Health and Harmony, that's exactly um, you know under Michael Gove what they said. They basically said farmers and land managers will be able to earn money delivering two types of goods. One, from their products, and two, from delivering services um, that benefit society. That um, explicit farmers, you can sell environmental goods and environmental delivery has gone. And now in the policy statements um, and in the bill, we still get this feeling about funding for farm support, rewarding farmers for public goods. And it will forever feel like a sector that is supported by government instead of a sector that is doing the equivalent of building, doing what Balfour Beatty does, build roads and is paid to do it, instead of being a sector that is delivering 100,000 Skylock plots or whatever, and actually being paid to do it because it's Mm. something the public want. That's really interesting. Do you think then that the use of that language leaves open the possibility that the budget could could be cut in future? Well, you know, of course it could, because it's funded by government. I mean, and in the same way, you know, infrastructure development, railways, railways and all the rest are subject to, you know, budgetary constraints. Of course, the budget can be cut in the future. We've got a five-year, you know, financial plan in there now in the legislation, but we don't know how much that's going to be. But I think for me, it's more this idea of... Uh, you know, farmers, we're supporting you rather mm. than actually mm. farmers, you're delivering something that's bloody important and we're paying you the right price for it. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd definitely go along with that. And you, and you, Stuart, what would, what would you do to make the bill better? Um, I think one of the areas I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see some real strengthening uh, is around some of that uh, supply chain stuff I touched on earlier. I think we really do need um, something around a sort of a minimum level of fair dealing. Uh, you know, we've got uh, great examples in the past of where we've tried uh, voluntary codes. Uh, we, uh, I got criticised the other day by saying we don't need to uh, change, for example, the, the beef voluntary code of practice to, uh, to a, a compulsory code or a legislative code. Um, and actually, I think we do. I think, you know, as farmers, we are looking for uh, the same level of protection from uh, from our customers that, that processors have uh, in relation to their dealing with their customers, the retailers. So I think a strengthening in that supply chain area. Uh, I'd endorse uh, a lot of what Julie said earlier as well. But uh, for me, uh, a big strengthening in that area around the supply chain Uh, text would be really helpful. Well, staying on the subject of supply chain unfairness, then the new legislation covers all sellers of agricultural produce, not just contracts between farmers and first purchasers like processors or abattoirs. 
how do you see that working in practice, Stuart? And would you be happy to have the RPA police any potential breaches? Um, so, so, so if I take the second bit first, Will, um, in terms of the RPA, I think the clue is in the title, Rural Payments Agency. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, for me, I don't see them as being the, uh, the agency uh, or the body with the expertise. Um, mm-hmm. I would probably feel... Uh, building on uh, the, the foundations of the grocery code adjudicator probably feels better. Um, I think that's probably a more appropriate area. Um, I don't see the, the RPA as, as, as necessarily having the, uh, the expertise or, or the, uh, the knowledge uh, to do this. And, and from what Julia was saying, uh, Julie was saying earlier, um, actually, there's going to be a fair degree of payments in whatever form uh, going forward, in which case we, we may want the RPA to be focusing on uh, doing that day job uh, rather than picking up these additional areas when there are uh, other parts of government potentially that could pick these up better. Mm. Julie, I'm really interested to get your perspective on this. Do you think there'll be any difficulties or unintended consequences as a result of this legislation? Because it seems like quite a big undertaking and, and a pretty big change from where we are at the moment. Yeah, on the supply chain and fairness point, I mean, this is interesting. I will be very interested to watch this and see how much happens and how brave um, policymakers are on it. Um, and partly because, you know, I do contracts and get involved in contracts in the, in the supply chain. And if you just take one thing that I know drives cereal farmers and, you know, pea growers mad, which is end user terms apply as pretty standard. It's, you know, it's an additional, it's pretty standard stuff. How can it be fair that I contract against terms that I don't know what they are? I don't know what the tolerances are. I don't know, you know, whatever. How can that be fair? Now, if we had a principle which said, you know, terms need to be clear at the time of contract for sale, that would really upset the apple cart in the cereals and, and, you know, sort of pulses chain because it sort of works, you know, it works like that. The the first purchaser, you know, doesn't really know who he's going to sell on to. So I do think uh, we need to um, look at this, and I'm sure it will be looked at, you know, with the NFU and CLA and, and, and other, you know, organisations. But it, it could really break it apart and be quite radical, but it might not serve um, the best interests of the whole chain in the end. Okay. Uh, Stuart, um, delinked payments. Uh, do you think they will really bring about the transformative change of the industry the government wants to see? Or will the temptation be there for people to spend those lump sums on other things? Um, well, look, well, there, there's always a temptation to, uh, to, to, to spend money. But, but for me, um, uh, when, when you've got some, that is, of course, yeah. Will. Um, the, 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 I think actually there is a danger that the lump sum discussion becomes a bit of a distraction mm. uh, in what is the real debate, which is uh, the speed, the debt, uh, and uh, if you like the profile of of how the transition period will uh, will carry on, the bill's got some quite interesting bits in it about how the transition period can be extended. Uh, it says very little about the profile of how uh, 
payments will change. And I think actually there may well be lots of discussions going forward about uh, how the shape of that profile changes depending on uh, economic circumstances, maybe uh, reflecting on uh, what the uh, the food security review uh, says, depending on what happens in other parts of the UK. And I think actually that transition period is arguably going to be much more important in terms of how we achieve transformative change than, than the, the lump sum payment, which arguably I think could become a bit of a distraction if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. What about you, Julie? What are your thoughts on, on de-linking? Are you pro? Uh, well, it's not whether I'm pro. I'll put my neck on the line on this, and I don't think that they will see the light of day. And the reasons are, I think it's just too big um, a move for too little gain, actually. If you take into account the complexity, the minute you set a reference period, you know, which gives you a right to sort of um, cash in payments, you've got all sorts of difficulties. What if somebody died? You know, what if they sold land? Everything we experienced back in, you know, 2002 to 2005. You're too young, Abby, for all of that. But um, <laughs> you, <laughs> only a baby. You know, compl- what about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Really? <laughs> <laughs> there's complexity there there's there's actually cross compliance which you know if you just give someone a, a lump sum and they can waltz off into the sunset um and it you know there is no need to continue delivering uh, on the holding that it used to be tied to on the farm it used to be tied to actually i think that we will row back on simplifying cross compliance and it'll you know it'll feature in future schemes because it's a very useful way of policing regulations hedgerow removal footpaths, et cetera, rather than relying on local authorities to do it. You know, you do it through that payment scheme. And the third is, for me, the risk is it takes money out of the very sector that you are wanting to encourage to produce food because someone could take the money and retire and some new entrant comes in or a neighboring farmer, but he has to deal with that holding without um, payments that other people are getting uh, for, for the short period that they're still available. So I I really can't see it happening, to be honest. I, I think there's another point as well with this, is I don't think we've got any idea yet. If, if it happens, um, is you know what would be the tax implications? How would that be dealt with? Um, and I think, therefore, you know, um, I'm probably not going to go quite as far as Julie, but certainly I think there's a lot <laughs> of, uh, of unanswered questions around it. Okay, Elms, a simple question for you now. Is this all singing, all dancing new scheme deliverable in the timescale the government has set out? Stuart, what do you think? Uh, In theory, yes. Um, But I think there is a lot to be done. I think there will need to be significant resources uh, put in place to make sure that's achievable. Uh, Certainly, if you read the previous uh, National Audit uh, Office report, uh, they were fairly challenging on this. Uh, but what I'd like to see, and actually we have started to see uh, in the last six months, I think, is a lot more genuine partnership working in this area. And I think with partnership working, I think we could uh, potentially hit those timelines uh, when we had partnerships that were genuine around developing uh, environmental stewardship. Uh, it worked very well, and we didn't see that so much with countryside stewardship. So, in theory, yes, uh, and uh, but it's going to need significant work from everyone. And what about you, Julie? What do you think? Yeah, I 
I'm ever the optimist on this. I think it's deliverable, but I think they'll look pretty similar to what we've had before with some new elements, native species, staff, etc. And, uh, and hopefully uh, some wider group schemes, you know, much more sort of landscape scale group applications with agents facilitating, etc. Um, if not, it's not going to be doable. But I come back to my point about I wanted, you know, and hoped for something more radical, which were auctions to bid for delivering things, um, as happens with, you know, physical infrastructure um, uh, and transport infrastructure. And, and there's simply not, you know, that's not going to be how, you know, what we end up with. It's not going to look like that. But I think it's doable. So the new bill contains some protections for tenant farmers who are concerned they could be locked out of the environmental land management scheme by landlord objections. And as a tenant farmer myself, I share those concerns. Um, Julie, do those protections go far enough? Well, actually, Will, it's got, <laughs> you, you've got, uh, you know, I think this is a delicate balance, okay, because because this is um, some, some of the environmental schemes, and particularly if we start thinking about carbon sequestration, et cetera, can be quite long term. And I think that the landlord is entitled to know what's happening on, you know, on his farm. Of course, yeah. And uh, I think it's a, going to be a difficult balance, this one. But I think it's absolutely right that that provision is in there, uh, which is based on reasonableness. So it has to be reasonable if it goes to arbitration or whatever for the tenant to get consent to do a particular thing. And of course, as part of that calculation will be the effect on, you know, what we call the reversion, the effect on the landlord's holding and values, etc. What about you, Stuart? Would you like to see any other um, tenancy reforms in the bill? Yeah, I think, um, look, I was, I was pleased to, uh, to see that some of the reforms have been brought forward, uh, into this bill that weren't previously there. Um, I think it's, it's disappointing that not more of the reforms that, that Trig, uh, the industry group had, had talked about have been taken forward in the bill, um, uh, particularly the need to include requests for landlords consent or, or variation uh, of terms under uh, the Agricultural Tenancies Act. Um, but I think, look, this is a good start. To actually get uh, some tenancy reform in this piece of primary legislation, I think is good. Uh, we need to keep pushing on this. But I think one of the things for me, and, and, and it hasn't come up in this conversation, is I don't think we can look at the, the agriculture bill in isolation. I think what we actually need to end up doing is looking at the agriculture bill, the environment bill, uh, and particularly uh, the trade bill, look at those three together and see how all three of those bits of legislation will work for uh, the entire farming sector, whether that be tenants, landlords or, or any other uh, arrangements. Right then, sadly, I think we'll have to leave it there for today. We have run over time, but you were very interesting with your comments. So I um, don't think that really matters. Uh, thank you to you both for sparing the time to share your thoughts with us. It's definitely going to be a big few years for Ag. Pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation, guys. No problem. And to everyone listening, thank you. And keep your eyes peeled for the next Farmer's Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast, which will be out next month.